Welcome to The Edge. We're back once again, and I'm solo. Jay's traveling the world like a celebrity chef griping about pineapple pizza, but I believe otherwise, and that's a conversation for another day. Joining me today in another of my series of favorite IT people I've met on my path is a gentleman who had a strong influence on both SDN and SD-WAN. He's worked in data protection, He's been a product manager for a well-known WAN optimization company, but I got to know him at his time in VMware, where he was the vice president of the NSBU, better known as NSX, as well as the GM for VMware's cloud services business unit. He's now the CEO for Century IO. Milan Desai, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Uh, thank you for having me. All right, so let's get into it. Um, we always start this show with kind of an introduction of how you got into IT. Uh, it's kind of the, what I call the superhero's origin story. Millis, give us, give, any, give us your path. How'd you get into IT? Yeah, so, you know, growing up, uh, my dad is a mechanical and electrical engineer, and you kind of always look up to your dad, and he was doing really well in his career, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a mechanical engineer, you know, uh, and you're talking about, like, 1994 uh, time frame, and um, I remember uh, my first cousin, uh, who is a ex-scientist from NASA, Lifetime of Achievement Award from there, was visiting us, and he kind of started talking, you know, me and him started talking, started talking about computers, and I'm like, this is kind of cool, I think. And so around 10th grade um, uh, is when I decided to kind of make the switch or make the decision switch from not going after mechanical engineering uh, and kind of pursuing this path of computer science. Um, and... What was really interesting and what kind of really triggered everything for me and, you know, can almost trace the path to where I am today is um, we started a small company when I was in my undergrad over there uh, or, you know, building websites for India or, you know, which is, you know, you think about like the Internet back then, it was not as prevalent. Right. So dial up modems and everything else. Um, and so we built the first hundred websites uh, back uh, in India and, um through that interaction, both technical as well as the business side of it, you know, meeting customers, uh, going over design, uh, talking about numbers, right? The payment part of it and, uh, you, know, you know, getting a paycheck yourself. All of that was such a great experience. And that, I think, is the formation of why I eventually moved to the business side because, you know, the person I worked for said, hey, you know, you may want to keep this in mind. You actually can connect technology and business, and that's a great skill to have. So long story short, come here, do my master's at USC. Um, you know, it was really hard to get my first job because this was 2001, uh, if you remember. Ooh. like. <laughs> so um, I, I always say that you, you do need luck. Uh, you do need a great network. Uh, and, you know, both of those things happened for me. Joined Veritas, phenomenal experience uh, as a fresh grad, got great mentors uh, along the way. Uh, and then decided I want to move to product because that's what I like to do, connect dots and uh, do things along that side. Moved to Riverbed, felt like I was up for something bigger. Um, and then here comes along VMware, took a step down actually. Uh, when I, I left money on the table, took a step down uh, to join VMware. And I would say VMware was basically uh, a combination of amazing, amazing people. Um, uh, great leadership, and and as a result, great opportunity that came along. And along the way, got to meet folks like you and work alongside folks like you and um, and kind of try to change uh, the paradigm of software-defined networking 
uh, in that. And so that that's the VMware journey. We can talk about that in, at nauseum. The thing that got me to Sentry was my belief that the decade we are in is the decade for data and developers. Uh, and so whether you look at uh, all the data companies that are already out there, or you know, if you talk about AI, AI is actually the data that feeds it, right? Um, you know, we talk about security. Security is a, a bunch of data giving signals, uh, you know, and, and driving decision making. So I think uh, companies that are effective in using data are effective in presenting data are going to be kind of at the forefront. And given all the friction that has been removed from building things, developers are going to build faster, uh, build a lot. Uh, and I think that persona is going to be relevant. So Sentry surfaces, of course, with the developer persona helps developers, uh, you know, fix software. Uh, in uh, you know, in terms of issues that they face, uh, and so that was kind of my love for Sentry, kind of coming in three and a half years and still loving it. Uh, again, great set of people. That's the common theme uh, across my career. I was lucky with having great people to work with and great people to work for. Awesome. So we had a conversation recently with somebody from your past, uh, Sean O'Dell. If uh, you probably remember him, uh, and we talked a little bit about that developer. Um, how do you sell to how do how do you, the difference between selling to developers versus your standard channel uh, methodology? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I know you know Martin Crisado had his his big speech. I think it was in two thousand sixteen, where he, you know the, the age of the developer and and called this shift of go to market. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that change of selling to developers versus selling to you know your standard channel? Because like you've done both. Yeah, you know, I mean, the single biggest difference is uh, like the developer who is kind of on the receiving end of it. There are two things, right? You have, you need, it just needs to work. Like there is no, um, I send you something, you trial it seven different ways, you do eight different things. Uh, it needs to be easy where they can plug it, they can use it, they can get going, right? And I think so the patience element, number one, uh, is is uh, is the barrier is very uh, uh, high in terms of quality of like getting started. The second thing is uh, you you just literally have to offer the software. There is no other like, let me start a POC. So the ability for them to access software very easily and try it out is probably a number one thing. And then from that, bringing value. So if you do those three things well, everything kind of cascades from that. And so a lot of people talk about developer, developers and everything, but they're really still selling. As an example, when security talks about shift left, a majority of those companies that say they've shifted left are still selling to the CISO or still selling to operation teams or SecOp teams. They're not really selling to developers, right? Um, we actually serve developers. Uh, you know, the end user is the developer. If you look at observability solutions, a majority of them are selling to SREs and ops people with a few developers, and which is very different than selling to a developer. So I think ease of use, access to software, Getting to value is probably number one. Then they look for things like, um, you know, uh, you know, the community feedback on the product. So you have to be authentic. You have to be appreciated in the community. Uh, you have to be participative in the community. Uh, and a lot of kind of that also is closely aligned with the open source momentum. So, uh, you know, how much are you contributing uh, to the community? Does not mean, need to be your software is open source always. But are you contributing back in time, in dollars, and an active participant, or are you just a taker? There's a lot of companies that are just takers of open source, uh, and they talk a big game. Uh, and so it's that that those are some of the elements that come to play 
um, which is meeting them where they work. Um, you know, there is no emails or, uh, you know, fancy words or presentation. It's really the product and action. It's all product, 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 right, uh, in that. So that's kind of the biggest difference in that um, reaching that audience is very difficult um, because as you know, nobody, you know, they will just delete your email as soon as they see a sales pitch uh, in that. So, <laughs> yeah. you, so meetups, um, uh, great technical write-ups, uh, you know, podcasts, they listen to podcasts and, and they listen to certain folks, right? Uh, being active in the community is how you have to reach them. So that's kind of the big difference in uh, go-to-market and engagement and, and versus selling to, say, IT ops where there is a much more set way of engagement. Do you see that model moving into the infrastructure space at any time? Uh, because it's, it's a very different sales motion and uh, we're dealing with different types of widgets. But do you see this kind of developer influencer uh, model becoming more dominant within, you know, more traditional, you know, selling network devices or um, hardware devices or even, you know, the overlay software, which, you know, we, we collaborated on with, uh, with VMware. It's harder for that because, you know, in terms of when it comes to, because you have to deal with the whole different cycle of procurement and other elements, like, so it's not like you can get started small and just auto scale yourself in these things. So I think there is an element of that. Um, there is a life cycle to some of this decision-making, which actually slows down versus if you think about, uh, a piece of new software that makes you uh, is makes makes the software more secure. Let's say some S bomb thing, which is the hottest thing these days, right? In security, uh, and so you can try it uh, and and you can turn it around versus you know buying hardware devices, which you know it's a you know three year four year decision point. The trials are longer, procurement and everything else. I think the the mechanisms will get more uh, like developers. I think the systems of records or the way you buy or procure will not change. I think the way you engage uh, or educate, I, I think, will start to get look more and more kind of like how you engage with uh, more self-learning, more content-driven um, uh, in that because, you know, everybody's getting cognitive overload in that. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's go back a little bit. Um, a lot of people don't know what a product manager is. Uh, when they interact with a company, they have no idea who this person is, what they do. Um, can you talk a little bit about the role of a product manager? By the way, this is a really tough question because, you know, it also <laughs> depends on the <laughs> uh, yeah, industry that you serve. Um, generally speaking, like, it seems like product manager is this really cool role, and it is, uh, if you do it right. Um, and, you know, it is a, I would say a majority of folks struggle in the role for a variety of reasons. I explain why. At the simplest level, I would tell you is, um, you know, if you think of a product manager, they are making sure, you know, I'll give an analogy of a, a boat, like everybody on the boat is moving in the same direction. Um, everybody is connected uh, and synchronous. And, you know, you know, hopefully nobody's uh, about to fall off, right? And so you're taking care of kind of, uh, you're the kind of guiding ship. Um, and, you know, people confuse this with, uh, oh, product managers make the decisions on what's going to make it. Product managers are the visionaries. Some people have used the term CEOs, da, 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 whatever you call it, right? If you're, if you're helping navigate a boat full of people and keeping everybody synchronous, happy, and safe, you could say they're the CEO, they're the leader, right? I look at it as a very simple thing, which is you figure out the why 
we are doing something, right? If, if, if a product manager cannot tell you why X is more important than Y, and as a result, we need to do X, that's bad, right? So it's not just about prioritization. It's about like the why behind it. And then the what, not the how, right? Mm -hmm. The what being, uh, you know, what are we, you know, why are we doing this? And, and, and the what, like how, you know, basically like, what are we doing, right? And so this comes back to like, not being in the weeds of implementation, but making sure the user elements. And we talked about this back in the day. Remember when we used to say, um, hey, this is the workflow I care about, or this is how I would consume it, or this is how it needs to work with other systems of record that I have. And to be able to articulate that a day in the life of. So if you do the why very well, you do the day in the life of very well, that's kind of the core genesis of, of what you do. And then from there in, it's communication, internal, external, making sure things are on track. Uh, but a lot of times people get either bogged down internally or they are external, but they're always in pitch mode. They're not in listen mode. So simplest thing I would tell you is the why and, and essentially, you know, the what uh, and how to get to that. And the best way to get to that is you need to be an excellent communicator, a dot connector. When I say a dot connector, you have to listen for signals, right? Um, and, and drive that. But that's what I see a product manager do, which is kind of owning the outcome, uh, the business outcome, not just the technical outcome, um, and, and taking people for uh, a ride alongside that. And so uh, that's why it's a hard job. Uh, people sometimes get lost in, in the, the myriad of things you can do as a product manager. But if you own the business outcome, get everybody on that journey, constantly communicate and, and, and make, that, make things happen, that's what I see as a product manager. But it's not only the inputs from internally within the business, but it's also customers requesting features. How do you balance the two? Because uh, I think that's, to me, that one of the greatest challenges is I've got a customer requesting uh, this feature. The internal business is on this path. They need this done. And then you're dealing with your technical debt. It's almost almost in some ways like a middle manager uh, within an IT organization because there's pressures from above. There's pressures from below. There's pressures from the outside, the inside. It's it, it's a tough role. It is, and that's why it's important to understand the why, right? Um, and so, in 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 you know, a lot of confusion sometimes happens. Is the, you know, product managers try to be visionaries. No, you're not. Uh, you know, because vision needs to come from uh, the engineering team. You have a CTO. You're part of it, but you don't need to kind of own the. I am the one trying to bring that uh, together. Um, and so, the biggest thing is if you've kind of written down a plan of where you want to take the business. Uh, as a as a group, then the inputs basically either validate that or um, require small changes in direction. Uh, what I would tell you is, not every every customer request needs to be addressed right away. And you, we've had that discussion too, which is sometimes we have yep. come back to you and said, "Hey, we can't do this for a little bit." And I apologize for this, but this kind of strays us from kind of our objective, which is this. Now, if you don't buy into that that other piece. I may lose you over time as a customer, right? Because you're like, uh, I don't agree with where you're going. So that's why it's super important to write down where you're trying to go, the outcome you're trying to drive, and then everything feeds into that internal stuff, external stuff from customers, you know, left field ideas that may come from your CEO, uh, you know, all of the above. So if you set that direction, then everything kind of validates that. And then you make small changes to that. Sometimes you have to rip the, you know, sometimes things come out of nowhere, right? But for the most part, as long as you stick to those core principles, like at Sentry, 
we have a core operating principle we don't build for a few we build for the many which means if it has to be something that can uh, you know enable a broad swath of customers versus a customer and um, in our history we've let go of seven figure opportunities uh, uh, you know with that mindset so you have to be comfortable uh, with that decision making prowess so it all again starts with you know the why uh and and how you want to operate as a group and if you have clarity on that all of this decision making becomes much much easier i like i like what you said about the why and and you know writing it down constantly reflecting on it because i think that helps you in your journey um let's switch topics a little bit uh software defined networking can you kind of go into the origins of it because to 2010s really to 2023 almost has been in terms of infrastructure, uh, that period of software-defined networking, and it's it's really changed how we build networks, how we manage networks and the value propositions associated with it. Can you talk a little bit about the origins of why uh, we needed to do software-defined networking as opposed to traditional networking? Um, so some of this, uh, of course, started a little before I started thinking of the problem. So I'm kind of just making sure <laughs> historically I'm factual. Um, so I joined VMware around 2010, and the ball was already rolling uh, a little bit on this front, uh, both internal to VMware and external to VMware. Um, and so, you know, external to VMware, there were companies like Nasera, which Martin founded, and a few others. And internally, there were initiatives already underway kind of thinking about what this means. And what, why was that thought process coming about? Um, it was coming about because, uh, and, and this is something I discovered, like my, my simplest thing was I came in and I started talking to folks uh, who were using VMware at a certain scale, right? And this came about because of virtualization, server virtualization. What used to be one physical machine now has 10 of them in there. Um, and then this concept of a cluster and vMotion which allowed you to have flexible compute um, across potentially racks, right? And typically rack was the boundary of everything. So you put a VLAN in there, everything was fine. And what started to happen is as virtualization matured and as things like uh, vMotion became kind of core to the element in 2010, we started hearing questions like, oh, the network is getting in the way. I can't move fast enough. You know, provisioning is taking time. Um, uh, in that number one. So it became, a, you know, that was one kind of problem statement I was hearing. The second thing was around this idea of elasticity um, and elasticity within a domain, I'm just calling a cluster, uh, within the data center, some, some crazy folks are talking about cross data center stuff. Still, there's a debate about whether that's a great use case or not. But generally speaking, like there was an element of that. Uh, other ways people are expressing things around this was not in terms of like VLANs and stuff like that. It was more in terms of getting an IP address, right? Like, yep. I probably, you know, simple things like that were, were starting to percolate up. And, you know, as we processed it and there was some internal work going on, we started talking about this idea of what if there was an API that essentially allowed you to, to provision a, a network. Uh, it, it still had a boundary. So a virtual network, um, and you could assign it an ID and you could just drop things in it and they were its own kind of little thing, right? And so um, this, I feel like a lot of this came from the early days of uh, of what you would now call cloud computing, uh, where everybody's provision stuff willy-nilly, uh, plus the, uh, the, the maturity of things like 
vSphere clusters and vMotion and the paradigms that they enabled. Um, and so the combination of that agility is probably what uh, is not probably is what drove the discussion to maybe having a API centric approach, which resulted in this concept of SDN, right? Uh, starting with, you know, layer two, layer three and above uh, in that. Yeah, and I recall, you know, and one of the challenges you, you sort of brought it up uh, is this, uh, as you bring in a new technology into an organization, the organization has to adjust. Uh, and I recall back uh, several meetings we had and I, you brought me into a room and we had a discussion around uh, cultural changes and, and uh, how do you build, you know, how do you break down silos uh, and those types of things. And I thought, why are we doing this? And then it dawned on me that an organization has to go through this, this rapid change. And it's very similar to what's going on today with uh, SASE, SSE, this you know, transition of adding security into networking, uh, which you guys were doing earlier with the NSX uh, uh, micro segmentation firewalls and, and those sorts of things. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about uh, you know, how VMware and, and yourself kind of came upon this idea that you know, uh, networking and the infrastructure team really had to kind of blend and come together and understand for, for this type of product to be successful? Um, you know, as, as with any kind of like, I'm, I'm going to use the VMware example, but this is very true if you were a startup, right? Which is um, the number one thing you do is go try to validate, will somebody buy? And, and who is the person who write the check or will authorize the check? And uh, as we went out, we noticed a pattern, right? Of course, there were smaller companies or organizations where uh, the virtualization team said, hey, I can kind of go manage this uh, with my networking team and make the decision and, and make the purchase. But for like a vast majority, they were like, this might require me to talk to a different person. Um, and so those were kind of very clear signs that uh, we were crossing a persona boundary. Uh, and as a result, we had to do one of two things. We could either change the product to service the persona that is a network admin, a traditional ad network admin, who till that point was physical switches and physical routers and configs and living in a different world, which was non-API centric. Or uh, another approach would be to kind of create a bridge for these folks into the virtual world without the burden of that. Um, and so we made the conscious decision to essentially enable the cloud team, which is now known as kind of the cloud team, right? Which is the virtualization folks to do the provisioning and enablement, but with the boundary principles that are set by the networking team. And so that we, we basically, I, mean, I can tell you the scar tissue that we have from this, um, you know, uh, the amount of travel Martin, myself did in terms of selling the vision, talking to network folks, convincing them. Remember at that point in time, we had the big behemoth was pushing the anti-message to what we were doing. So every time we would walk in, somebody walks in right after us with 10 more people where they have CCIEs and all these careers set on these that other vendor. And they were pushing a different narrative, right? Uh, and so short, long story short, it was just, uh, you know, we, we realized we needed to do it. We enabled the product to do that. A uh, lot of education. Uh, we found champions like you who helped us cross uh, the boundary early on showed us what makes sense, how to kind of, you know, bridge that gap. We used champions like you to tell the story so that they heard it from somebody who is a peer uh, from that domain knowledge versus like, hey, here's a virtualization guy talking to me about networking or virtualization gal talking to me about networking. So we tried to do it via making sure we had, we knew the methodology, right? We are still catering to 
um, the virtualization cloud team in terms of getting them that agility and uh, flexibility, but with the rules set by the network and security team, um, and then using those champions that we've created to educate others. And you remember we had a transformation program uh, that we started doing. We had a certification program that we brought in, I think year three or four, uh, for CCIEs to become virtual network admins and other things. That was a progressive story. Early on, a lot of scar tissue, a lot of you know, one-on-one, uh, and then finding champions like you that help us kind of tell the story externally uh, in that. So th- that was kind of the recipe, but it's super important in your journey to really look uh, yourself uh, as in the mirror as a team and say, who, who are we selling to? Who will write that check? Who are we building the product for? Is it for the network admin? Because that's a different you know, selling motion. Or are we building for a, uh, a virtualization team which becomes a cloud team and we'll have a virtual network admin in the future? And so you knowing that allowed us to kind of create the clarity on this. Uh, and that is very important when you build any new product or company. Who are you selling to? Uh, you know, is it, you know, number one is the persona, the size of the company. Is it mass market? Is it mid market? Is it enterprise? All of the above uh, that helps kind of shape uh, a lot of things and go to market uh, as a result of that. So hopefully that made sense. No, it makes sense. And, and, but the pain is now is, is still real. Uh, it, it, it's just transitioned over to networking and security folks. Uh, and I can tell you on a regular basis, it's, it's hard to figure out, you know, uh, who owns the budget or um, trying to get these teams to come together. I mean, the worst case scenario is security goes out and buys a product uh, in the SASE space and the network team disagrees with it. And then you get this, I've seen it where uh, you get the competitive nature of, Hey, you know, I want this product. They're going to get this product and nothing happens. And as a result, nothing changes. Um any any advice for say mid level or even senior level um, infrastructure folks out there that are looking to break down silos? Um, have you seen any methodologies or processes work for them to kind of bring teams together to get them to understand the why uh, so they can be successful in you know because essentially networking and security have to come together for this yep. to be successful. There's there it has to be done. Uh, the challenge is obviously the people. The technology is there. It's, it, in my opinion, it's the people that are really the um, the reason a lot of these technologies are not being adopted as rapidly as they should be. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's what it comes down to, right? So I think the the biggest way, if, if you were somebody who is championing the cause to uh, a forward thinking model, uh, the number one thing I would tell you is make sure you have alignment. Uh, from the business side, like, uh, you know, on, and and so whether you call it leadership, two levels up, three levels up, like you have the buy-in uh, uh, and I'm not saying use that as a stick, but that helps in terms of air cover. You still have to lead with empathy because you have to take people on a journey. Otherwise, if you force them along, sometimes it just doesn't work. So I think number one is alignment. And then the question, like I would simply bring up is what is the outcome we are trying to achieve as a group? And if the outcome is to your point to be more secure uh, along these vectors, right? So when you talk about like network security and security security, there are there's an intersection vector in that. Um, and we are saying, hey, we need to get a better, clear strategy on those fronts. So having, again, I, 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 I'm trying to simplify this, but having that outcome uh, known, uh, the common, you know, things we want to go achieve written down and then creating a dialogue 
uh, about like what are the approaches and then you can start with this idea of existing to modern or, or you know approach a to c and and create a forum of of discussion now i'm not saying meetings for the sake of meetings at some point you have to just go uh, and so the simplest way to say is we know the outcome this is what we are trying to do um, what would a good uh, proof of concept look like and then just rolling in the three vendors uh, a traditional vendor from networking a, a modern security vendor or somebody who blends both and doing a poc and that makes it black or white uh, it allows to create operational boundaries and then move ahead. So I, I always say like a, a lot of this is broken down because people think um, you are trying to push your agenda as an individual and trying to seek control versus here's the outcome. Here's what we want to go achieve. Let's look at these people. Here's the criteria, right? How does your life get better? How does you know my life get better? Where do we collaborate things on? And then running that kind of proof of concept in that. And alongside all of this is some lightweight education material as a vendor uh, you may have to have lightweight education material on how these teams function. Th that's why I use the term day in the life of a lot, which is when I'm in, when my product is working in an environment, what does the day in the life of look like for a network admin or for a security admin or if an issue happens, how can they collaborate? It may also help you shape your product to have those pieces of collaboration or intersection in product or, or through communication like a Slack alert goes out to both members of the organization saying, you all may want to collaborate on this, just making it up right now. So I think that's kind of the blueprint that has worked uh, for me consistently, uh, whether it was at uh, VMware focusing on networking, then security, then cloud, uh, and now even talking to developers, right, which is what's the share out. So let's move on a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about growth in a company because... Uh, your journey at VMware and as part of the NSXBU, uh, you, you basically, it was like a startup. I mean, you guys started with almost zero, well, you did start with zero revenue. Uh, and then over a, a short period of time, you got it up over a billion dollars, which is outstanding. Uh, any startup would be uh, uh, jealous of that outcome. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you, you know, the company as a whole and how, you know, you, your uh, influence kind of helped that that rise from uh, basically in a, in a span of just like few short years from zero to a billion, uh, that's an outstanding outcome. So can you talk a little bit about how that happened and, and what were some of the pillars of success there? Um, yeah, it, number one, I think we, um, we had like a phenomenal support uh, top down, right? From uh, the C-suite, there's just alignment that uh, we have to make this successful, right? So when you, that's, and this comes back to that last question, which is, uh, you know, we have to make our network secure or, you know, and so there's no discussion like at that point in time, right? So think of that similar kind of paradigm, but except at a business level. So that level of clarity uh, uh, just helps uh, kind of move things along much faster in decision-making. So, um, so by having that, you know, that top-down mandate in a way of alignment, decision-making uh, was faster, significantly faster. It was, I don't have to put seven meetings. This is the plan. And then if there was a something we needed different, we would just go ask. And it was a quick decision process, right? Because everybody was bought into it. Uh, and so that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, I would tell you is, we got extremely lucky. Uh, uh, you could say lucky uh, or uh, we were just uh, good, but we really had a great team. Um, and I, I, you know, whether you look at 
uh, having folks like Martin join us uh, from uh, Nasira to, you know, just the leadership from uh, Raghu and uh, existing play folks like Bogomil, who's now at Sequoia and others. There was just kind of like a, a set of people um, that had clarity of thinking, you know, uh, an understanding of where we wanted to kind of move and drive things. So I feel like that was the second ingredient. Um, and the third ingredient uh, was uh, essentially, uh, you know, the, this this opportunity uh, uh, that was in front of us, which is we basically operated, like you said, we internally, there was a term like it was like a pirate ship. We literally just wanted to win. There was an obsession uh, to kind of get to the outcome. Uh, and, and so that essentially helped us move fast on product. Um, we were a, fortunate enough to have a our own kind of overlay team, you could call it, that allowed us to uh, uh, you know aggressively uh, you know be out there in the market. Um, so so those were kind of the three pieces uh, I would call it. What if you look at kind of the actual journey? It was a combination of um, solving a problem, uh, you know, which was needed in this domain called virtualization. So we did have a captive kind of install base so that definitely helped. Right, which is we went into a, a captive install base, uh, which is VMware vSphere, uh, to solve a problem that you knew uh, you wanted to solve. Right. Uh, so then the second piece of that was how do you scale that from vision-based selling, the thing we talked about, to uh, to like an everyday conversation. So uh, we first year two years was a lot of vision selling, kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, through that, with the help of folks like you, we came up with those use cases. Remember the nine box we had. Um, yep. uh, you know, and so that nine box of use cases, something which I was fortunate to be able to create with the help of customers like you, which had said, we help you with automation, we help you with security, we help you with multi-site disaster recovery and all of that stuff. And that changed the tide of the conversation, one from being talking about overlay networking and stuff like that, to one that said, oh shit, yes, I want to stop east-west traffic. Boom, I need NSX. Oh, I want to provision an entire three-tier app in minutes. Boom, I need NSX because it changed the conversation. DR, I need a second, you know, I don't want to change my, can you automate the whole process on the DR side, right? So that changed the trajectory. And I still always come back to use cases all the time, which is tell people what problem you can solve and you do it uniquely, you do it really well. That changed the trajectory of our uh, selling. Um, which got us from like hand-to-hand -hand combat. We fueled more salespeople. We did the certification stuff. All the other ingredients came alongside that, but cracking kind of why we exist, what problems do we solve, getting a few of those wins early on and then writing those down and communicating that, boom, magic, right? Uh, at which point it became a recipe. Let's go solve that, right? Continuously. So that's kind of how uh, that journey went about. Uh, and I would say we got lucky along the way. Of course, there's always some of that. Uh, we had great customers. Uh, that was definitely helpful. As you know, that was so hard that time. But the biggest ingredient in all of this was alignment, 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 right? There was never a question of we are uh, we are going to lose. We just went for it. We, we iterated, we changed, we moved, right? So uh, that definitely helped. And I kudos to uh, VMware's leadership. Uh, for for going all in, right? So that definitely helped folks like me uh, as a result of that. And as a customer, there was a certain energy associated with that group. I I 
it was just infectious. You, you wanted to be part of it. You wanted to get on the bandwagon. You wanted to move it forward. Uh, to me, that was, uh, that was one of the things it just, you, you just had to be there and, and you had to be moving it in a direction. So uh, let's, let's move on to what you're doing now. Century IO. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what, uh, what the company does and, and what sort of problems you solve. Yeah. At, at the simplest level, uh, Everyone is shipping software multiple times a day, in some cases, at least once a week now for most organizations. Um, and when that software breaks, uh, and when I say break, as, as in when the customer is using it, whether it's, uh, you know, you loading up your favorite app on your phone and it doesn't load or it crashes or uh, you're checking out on the e-commerce site, when all those things are happening in real time, we are telling the developers that something's broken. and how many users are affected? It's only happening on, say, a mobile Android version X, or it's happening on uh, a Chrome browser or whatever that environment thing is, down to the line of code that's broken. And the potential committer who committed that piece of code. So imagine that whole cycle of something's broken, people will complain on the internet, or there will be support tickets coming in that entire life cycle is taken off because you, you ship code, you observe it for 24, 48 hours initially, whether it's an error, whether it's slow software, any of that, we give you all the context. The developer gets the notification, the team gets the notification. You have all, you know where the line of code is broken. You essentially can roll it back, you can fix it, patch it, move on. And so that's what we do. Uh, we started with the front end, with JavaScript. We do front end, back end, mobile, um, we do error monitoring. So when errors are thrown, we give all the context around it. We do developer-centric APM. So yes, there's APM, as you know, uh, existed. We do for developers, not ops people. So tell you where your code is slow. Tracing, as you call it, from a technology standpoint, distributed tracing. Uh, and also, we will tell you how much of your code is tested or untested. So it's kind of like that lifecycle element focused on software quality to the developer uh, we've got 50,000 plus customers uh, from the leading brand names in streaming or uh, in, you know, developer tools or, you know, big SaaS names or consumer brands. All of them use Sentry um, uh, to help their developers ship quality code faster, right? So that's what we do. Uh, completely different from our do domain of infrastructure back in the day. Um, but very relevant in the same way because that was the thesis is this developer first. Let's go help uh, software developers ship software faster. Uh, from a security perspective, does it also help them uh, create more secure code as well? I mean, uh, that seems to be a constant challenge out. I mean, I don't know how many how many times the Move It uh, latest Move It uh, <laughs> uh, has, has exposed my personal information. It's it's one of those things I read the news. I'm like, oh, there it goes again. Uh, how about quality for security? Uh, not yet. We have some elements we do uh, in terms of security, but like uh, we have not ventured in that path. And I'll kind of again explain the reason behind it of, of why not yet uh, is our whole model is you sign up on our website as a developer. Uh, you have a free plan or you start a trial. After that, it's $29 or whatever you want to pay us, right? And everybody just, 99.99% of our customer base doesn't talk to a human. Um, and so when you think about, yeah, exactly. So it's it's very much like it just works, right? 
and so when you think about security, it will be a different today. All of the security elements, even though people say shift left and all of that, it's still uh, not the developer who's driving that, right? And so it's a different buyer, a different persona, a different motion um, uh, in that. And so when we looked at kind of go to market, we said, hey, you know, that we'll have to completely build a different motion of selling, uh, number one. And so that was that has been kind of like one deterrent for us to not get into those concepts yet. And the second deterrent is what exactly will we solve for developers that others have not solved or can we do it better? Um, and then, uh, okay, what is that? And can we really do it better than anybody else? And so I think we don't have clarity on both those vectors. I have some clarity on the latter, like what could we solve for them? But I would say it's not super clear on how we could do it better. And then you, as you know, you can't dip your toe in security. Uh, you have to make, <laughs> you have to go two feet in and, and commit to it, right? Kind of like when VMA committed to going into networking and security as a, as a domain. So kind of, I didn't want to tiptoe on one end. The go-to-market is different, so we've stayed away. But I generally feel there is an intersection here where uh, there are companies not, that are now starting to do things like they scan your code for where are you connected externally. And every release before you ship, it can tell you all the violations of like, this is new. Your, your ex data exfiltration is happening or you're connecting to a new data source. And I think those are things that we can bring early in the CI cycle um, uh, and, and kind of catch it, right? And then as a result, integrate into CD. Uh, and so say, oh, we're seeing new forms of data going out, stop, right? Um, and, and let us take a, take a look. So there are opportunities to do things along those fronts. Um, I think there's opportunity around uh, where is the source code coming from, right? Especially open source and chat GPD and all that fun stuff that's coming in uh, and, and libraries that you use and the quality of that SBOM and other things. And so I think a lot of that can come in earlier in the life cycle. I've not seen like a great example of truly that moving left. So the question is, is, is it a CI/CD play and where in that does it plug in? And I feel like best of breed players should exist in that versus like everybody just trying to add it as a bolt on. That's my perspective, of course, but you know, uh, the market might say otherwise. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, I could continue this for a long time with you because there's so many other questions I have. Uh, but uh, I think we've uh, kind of run out of those things. So let's, uh, let's ask a few fun questions. Um, what's been your ultimate vacation or do you have an ultimate vacation planned for your future? You know what? I, do, I don't know if I have an ultimate vacation planned, but like the, the ingredients I look for in, in an ultimate vacation are... Um, a lot of kind of beach time, like, you know, water, um, you know, and relax and relaxation associated with it. Um, a little bit of history, a little bit, not too much. Ooh, okay. <laughs> right. Like, uh, you know, in that, uh, so not getting overloaded with uh, a historical, but, but just enough um, and a lot of good food. So uh, those three uh, combined with the main ingredient, which is family. Uh, I think that's my like four, I look for those four things. Um, and we've been fortunate enough to do something along those lines recently through a trip uh, in Italy. And then we just came back from Turkey, which uh, was also phenomenal. It had all those pieces uh, in oh. there and we loved it. Yeah, Turkey's an amazing place. I, I remember going to uh, Ephesus. Was it Ephesus? Yeah. 
yes. uh, one of the just ruins <laughs> and and uh, there was some geological areas around it uh that was that was an outstanding trip i i was thinking for a moment there uh dubrovnik uh, in croatia would be a good, great place to go i am actually going to croatia for a conference so I, I i may check it out but like that would be alone so i wouldn't do it but uh, i agree ephesus was phenomenal uh, and that's what i mean a little bit of history to kind of look at what happened and then um the story of the cappadocia caves uh, was intense like i'm just still shocked by kind of how um people kind of carved out caves uh, in in the mountains and uh, the food scene is spectacular so let's talk about food i know i know you love food too um what uh, what's your, what's what is uh are you are, are you a cook at all do you do you cook your own food or or it, it, are you more of a restaurant person for a um, good meal? A little bit of both, I would say. Uh, we do like to cook a lot at home. And, and, and so a lot of that, uh, I'm a big um, Blackstone griddle user. Um, and okay. so, yeah, I've, I've become a big fan of it. Everything from uh, cooking uh, Philly cheese steaks to um, making you uh, pao bhaji, which is like Indian street food. Um, we love just kind of hosting in our backyard. And, have, you know, that's kind of my uh way to uh, also decompress yeah during covid that kind of became my thing to do uh we we did a lot of the home kits uh and brought the food in and, and from a variety of different uh providers of that and uh that was kind of my thing to wind down in the evening was to grab one of those and uh just randomly pick and and try something i I've, I've never cooked before and it was a great experience yeah no i, I we cook from scratch we love it um, and, uh, you know, my wife is a better cook now than me. Uh, I have, I'm admitting it on tape now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I do my fair share. I love it actually. So. Yeah, for us, it's, um, I'm probably the more adventurous one. So I'll pick the, the, the meal and essentially make it, but, uh, she's got the amazing ability to just make it taste right. So it's a, it's a partnership there, but uh, I think if she spent more time on it and was a little more adventurous, she'd just blow me out of the water because that ability to just combine flavors and bring certain items out and, and lessen some others, uh, that is it's a skill. Art. It's a skill. Yeah, yeah it's an art. I, you're, more than a skill, it's art. You're right. Absolutely. Agree. Yeah. Well, Millen, this has been amazing. Uh, thanks for taking the time to catch up. Thanks for... Uh, talking about software-defined networking, VMware, uh, what a product manager is, and uh, what you're doing today at Century IO. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That was a fun conversation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSC Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge.